gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So our gospel lesson and our sermon text are rather well known uh, from John chapter 3. And this sermon text, this lesson, is a great example of what you find throughout the gospel of John. John's gospel is characterized by dialogue, one-on-one conversations between Jesus and others. In this case, today, it's Nicodemus. So this is, as I say, it's characteristic of John's gospel, these one-on-one conversations, more so than you find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Another thing that strikes me about this lesson is that a casual reading of it leads you to conclude that here's another case where someone comes up to Jesus and says something and he goes off on some tangent that's totally unrelated to what the person originally spoke of. And that's really not the case. And I want to show you that. I show you that by the underlines in your gospel lesson and by the boldface uh, type. For example, in verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night, Nicodemus, and said to him, Rabbi, we know. So the first subject that Nicodemus raises with Jesus is the subject of knowledge. We know about you. And Jesus picks up that theme in verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. In other words, he's saying to Nicodemus, you don't really know about me. But I and those with me speak of what we do know. The other subject is covered in the second half of verse 2. For no one can do, in boldface, these signs that you do unless God is with him. So that's the second subject. The second subject is what people can do, or not do, actually. It's about human ability, or really, human inability. In verse 3, he addresses that topic. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, or born from above, you could translate. The word means both in Greek. He cannot see the kingdom of God. This is about what you can't do. That's what Nicodemus is talking about. And then in verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter. Again, human inability, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus is answering the concerns that Nicodemus is sharing. It's just maybe not apparent at a casual glance of the lesson. That's why I've underlined and bold-faced for you these things. But there is an implied question in verse 2. Roman number 1 deals with this. Nicodemus' implied question, by implied question we mean a question that's there but it's not verbalized, it's unspoken. And this is the question. The implied question, are you more than a teacher? We know your teacher come from God, but might you be more? 
Might you be a prophet? Might you be the Messiah? This is what drives verse 2 underneath the surface. Who are you really? And Roman numeral 2, Jesus' answer is rather striking. In so many words, quote, you, Nicodemus, are not qualified to assess who I am and to sort out heavenly things, to understand heavenly things. You're not qualified. Now, that's quite a statement because Nicodemus is a well-educated man. He's a ruler, a leader among the Jews. In Jewish society, he's at the apex, the top of the pyramid. And yet, he's ignorant regarding the things of God. Ignorant. So let me ask you this question. Before you were born, you were in the womb for nine months, give or take a few weeks. Before you were born, what did you know about the world? The world out there? You may have known your mother's voice. You would have known your mother's voice. You would have known maybe your dad's voice, hopefully. But outside of that, not a whole lot. <laughs> you know, you weren't qualified to speak about life outside the womb. You had not been there. You had not experienced birth. You were in the womb. So Jesus' solution for Nicodemus is rebirth. That's one numeral three rebirth, to be born again. In order to understand spiritual things, you have to be spiritually reborn. Otherwise, it's just foolishness. It's babble. You won't get it. When I was in first grade, uh, I, I remember the names. I don't know. Does everybody do this? Do you remember the names of all of your grade school teachers and all of Okay. Really? I do. I don't know why, but this was Mrs. Daly, and she was rather stern, and, and uh, we had a troublemaker in the class. His name was Billy, and I'm not going to say his last name because he might be watching. Uh, you know, the Internet is, inter I mean, it's pervasive, right? But um, Billy was a troublemaker, and one day Mrs. Daly had enough, and she's, now we're, we're all in first grade, right? We've been through kindergarten. We're in first grade. She said, Billy, go back to kindergarten. And he said, what? His eyes got real big. She said, go back to kindergarten. No. Go back to kindergarten, Billy. And he starts crying copious tears. No, no, no. And he went back to kindergarten. Now, I can't remember how long, whether it was just for a day or whether it was for the rest of the year. <laughs> I, I don't recall, but it was, it was viewed by all of us. I mean, we were smart enough to know that's a demotion, <laughs> right? That's a demotion. And in a sense, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, go back to kindergarten. Go back. Now, it's really not a demotion. And, and that brings us to letter A under Roman numeral three.
to us it appears as a demotion. That's a worldly way of thinking, but it's not a demotion. This is not a demotion, but a promotion. It's a promotion. It is a whole new life. Jesus is calling you to begin a whole new life. It is God calling you out of darkness into light, out of ignorance into knowledge. That's a promotion. That's a blessing. And in fact, and we'll touch upon this later, maturity, Christian maturity, is going back to the beginning. It is remembering that you're small before God and completely dependent upon Him like a newborn. That's maturity, spiritual maturity. Letter B, this is a birth of water and spirit, literally in the Greek, born of water. The, the definite article the is not there in front of spirit in, in the Greek. It's added because we're referring to the Holy Spirit, right? But literally, born of water and spirit. Some commentators wrongly say, it's a minority, but, but they wrongly say that being born of water is natural childbirth. It's breaking the amniotic sac of fluid, the bag of waters. Uh, and then there's also being born of the Spirit. See, two different births, they would say. Grammatically, that's impossible. Because, number one, the, the verb, it's actually a participle, born is used only one time. Jesus doesn't say you must be born of water and also born of the Spirit, as if he's talking about two different birth experiences or two different events. He's not. The participle is used once, followed by a preposition, the letter or the, the word of, and that one preposition governs the objects of the preposition, water and spirit. So you have one prepositional phrase denoting one event, not two events. Being born of water and spirit is one event. We call that baptism. Born of water and spirit equals baptism. Not only is it grammatically one event in verse 5, but it's also proven by verse 3. Because verse 3, Jesus says, unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So being born again or born from above is now explained further in verse 5 born of water and spirit. That's an expansion of being born from above. He's restating it, see. And being born from above does not include breaking the bag of waters and natural childbirth. That's, that's a different matter, you see. So born of water and spirit equals baptism. And, and let me hasten to add, we teach correctly that it's not the absence of baptism that condemns you, it's the absence of faith, all right? The thief on the cross had no opportunity for baptism, but he believed in the Lord. He's reborn, he's in heaven. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So baptism is necessary, but it's not absolutely necessary. But that doesn't mean we deny baptism, that doesn't mean that we ignore baptism, no. It is a command, it is for you, 
We'll talk more about that shortly. So number one, under part B, here's the parallelism now. As a father's seed, now we're talking about nature, as a father's seed plus the mother's womb or the mother's seed equals temporal life, physical life. So God's word, which is seed, plus water, any water, equals baptism, the womb of baptism. Think of baptism as a spiritual womb, and that results in or equals eternal life. And so number two, as the womb is to the unborn child, so is baptism to the believer. As the womb is to the unborn, so is baptism to you and me. Baptism is our womb, our spiritual womb. So, as the early church would say, if God is your father, you must have the church as your mother, right? The church is the bride of Christ. It's through the ministry of the church that you're baptized. You're received into the kingdom. You're reborn in Christ. And so let's get Trinitarian about this. And this is all really from the lesson today. The Spirit is mentioned. God the Father is mentioned. The Son is mentioned. Letter C, the Father sends his Son into the world so that we might believe in the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. I like the way uh, Luke writes in Acts chapter 16 where we read that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to believe the message Paul spoke, you see. This is divine work upon us in the heart. And so we believe in one God in three persons. And all three persons are involved in our salvation. All three persons are one. They work together. The Father sends the Son. The Son accomplishes our salvation on the cross and through the empty tomb, the resurrection. And the Spirit creates faith in Christ, leads us to believe these things. There's many parallels here. There's many ways to describe the Trinity. One of my favorite ways is to talk about marriage. And, you know, the Bible speaks of two persons. A marriage is a two-person union. And there's a oneness there. The two become one flesh in the eyes of God. The two become one. Now, they don't lose their personality. They're still two persons, but they're in this new union, this unity that we call marriage. Uh, the Trinity is a three-person unity in a very similar way. The Scripture speaks in a similar way about the Trinity as it does about marriage. Well, there's a closing paragraph here that I want to read. This is a quote from St. Augustine. And, and I think it really summarizes what we're talking about today in John 3. This man, Augustine writes, Nicodemus, knew only one birth from Adam and Eve. He did not yet know the birth from God and the church. He knew only the parents who beget death. He did not yet know the parents who beget life. He knew only the parents of those who will succeed them. He did not yet know the parents who, living forever, beget those who will remain. Therefore, although the, there are two births, he knew only one. One is from the earth, the other from heaven. One is from the flesh, the other from the spirit. One is from mortality, the other from eternity. One is from male and female, the other from God 
and the church. The other is from God and the church. So let me ask you this. How many births do you know? How many do you know? Only one? Or do you know two? Jesus wants all of us to know or to experience the second birth. That is Christian baptism, being baptized into Christ, being rebirthed into the family of God. And I love the way Peter puts it in Acts chapter 2. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Notice forgiveness is tied to baptism. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is tied to baptism, as we see in John 3. For the promise, Peter says, is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And so let me say to you, whether you're in person today or whether you're listening online, if you have questions about baptism, email me, call me. We have a class for that, to prepare you for baptism, to prepare your family for baptism. We just did that last week as well. And if you've already received baptism, please don't say, I know about that already. I've heard about that before. I, I've got that down. Now, now tell me something new. If you think that, let me say that you will never outgrow your baptism. Don't think that you ever will outgrow your baptism. Luther would never say, I was baptized, like some past event, some historical event that you can forget about and move on. No, he would say, I am baptized. The baptism is a living reality. It is my identity. In Christ, I am the baptized one. You see, I have a new life. And spiritual maturity is going back to the beginning, back to the font, and realizing just how dependent you and all of us really are on the Father, our Father in heaven. He's our real Father after all. And we grow, we mature in Christ as we remember our baptism, as we return to our baptism each and every day. We mature in Christ as we remember that we are God's children dependent upon him, weak though we are. He is our strength. That's maturity in Christ. That's growing in Christ. Growing in Christ means we go back to the beginning every day. I like the way Jesus put it in Matthew 18. He said, I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and you've revealed them to little children for such was your good pleasure. I like the way Jesus put it when he said to the adults, he said, unless you change and become like little children, you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. No, don't think that maturity means forgetting about these most basic fundamental things. Maturity is going back to these things again and again and again. That is growth in Christ. Growing deeper in your dependency and your need for your heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen.
the peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus Christ.